Blog Talk Radio. Wow, that was a, a a a drag kind of intro with the music this morning. I apologize for that technology problem. This is Gail Sylvia, host of SylviaGlobal.com, and I'm so glad that you're here joining me today. Um, that's ordinarily a wonderful song to open up with because the energy of it is so much fun, and it reflects the energy of our special guest today, Ian Roadwall. Ian is the author of a forthcoming memoir called Dancing Under Apartheid. It is a collection of essays and poetry, a a memoir of his experience in Palestine. Ian, thank you so much for being here today. And let's open up with you sharing some of the words from your book. Thanks for having me, Gail. Um, And I I, uh, just want to start by actually um, referencing Dr. King, uh, when he said in his, his speech, When Silence is Betrayal, uh, that he gave just a year before he was assassinated, he's, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of, to be silent in the face of injustice is to uh, be complicit in that injustice. So that being mm-hmm. said, um, I would like to uh, start by reading a piece I, I just wrote the other day. And will be it will be in my book. Um, this is called Why I Write. I write to paint the universe into existence. I write with anger. I write my own no- unknown secrets, my smaller histories. I write the ecstasy of existence. I write the wall that I want to tear down, and in my words, I tear it down. I write the stairway to further dreams, dreams of prison cells and occupation, dreams of tanks. Dreams of dying, dreams of fighting, dreams of racing. I write to make myself alive. I write to follow my destiny. I write to, I write to tell the story of Beit Nuba. I write to tell my visa nightmare. I write to float in the Dead Sea, the night unfolding drunkenly around us, the soldiers at the gas station pulling the Palestinian Shabab out of their car, rooting through their luggage, coming over to us asking why we are watching. I write the crossing of Allenby Bridge, the entry across the border between Jordan and the West Bank. I write the haunting melody of the Adhan, the call to prayer. I write these shadows from my memory. I write for the dogs in the street that I feared. I write for the beggar woman on her crutch at the Menara, pulling on your shirt sleeve, asking for mercy, asking for Allah to bless you. I write the scattered shouts and smells of the vegetable market. I write these pages full of my story. I write the fact that the U.S. gives $3 billion a year to Israel to build the wall, to build the settlements, to steal the land, to kill Palestinians, to demolish houses, to hold children in prison, to separate families by Jerusalem permits and West Bank permits, to pull the water from aquifers in the West Bank to illegal colonial settlements and into Israel proper, to segregate the city of Hebron at the brutal end of the gun, to make it so that animals in the hills of Hebron have more access to water than Palestinians living in the city itself. To militarize the whole Israeli society, to corrupt U.S. politics, to start wars at will. 
I write to interrupt the cycle of hegemony that Israel and the U.S. force upon us. I write with my back hurting from chopping wood and the evening cooling off, my hand to my forehead. I write out of shame for what I have or haven't done. I write to fix myself. I write to fix the world. I write because I wish I could play guitar like a rock star, but what I know how to use is a pen. I write to find a way to laugh in between the falling shadows. I write because the ongoing war is too much for me to handle. I write because the occupation must end. I write to plead with God for some change for good, for justice. I write to describe the fires in the dumpster in the street out my window at night. I write to describe the choking stench of tear gas. I write to sweat in my armpits as I stand in the, sh the cattle chute at the Calandia checkpoint, the military checkpoint I have become used to by now. I write the dirt in my nails after a day of harvesting olives. I write to scream out some sort of cry to the universe. I write to place my claim on this existence. I write to describe the soldier who beat us down and shoved us and threw us around in the streets of Hebron while the settler children and their parents looked on and laughed and clapped. I write to tell the story of Beit Nuba, where the IDF army tear-gassed a chicken barn, killing 1,500 chickens, where the army arrested several young boys and five sheep for grazing too close to the fence, the fence that has razor wire electrified and surveillance cameras every 10 feet, where the army jeep came zipping up the road and parked right in front of us, turning to face us, after we'd been standing there for maybe seven minutes, looking out of the villagers' olive fields that they could not go to because the fence had cut it off, where the settlers torched the fields of this village that lives at subsistence-level poverty or below, where the army tear-gassed a woman while she was in labor. She lost the baby. She went crazy. Where the army threatens to demolish a home unless they tear down the new bathroom they have just built, where 40, 50, 60 people live in each home, where only 15 buildings are allowed to remain in this village, this unrecognized village, no more, and preferably less, where the Star of David is scrawled onto the walls of torn-down houses, not because Jews were living there the way it was in 1930s France, as my French colleague says, but because Israelis want the land and want to claim it as their own. I write because the sigh in my chest gets stuck, and all I have is ink and words. I write because when you hear an engine in the sky, you know, in Ramallah, that it's some kind of surveillance because Palestinians don't have their own independent airspace. I write to chart in one small corner of the world that this happened, that I was there, that I saw this. Ian, thank you very, very much. You just gave a, an abbreviated news report in the context of a poem. Is this uh, reflective of the type of poetry that will be found in your upcoming memoir? Yes. Um, there, it, it will be sort of a combination. I'm, I'm blending forms between essays and poetry and prose poems. Um, and I plan to, to incorporate writing like this and also more straightforward articles uh, and more maybe traditional type poems. But that's what I'm going for. You know, poet William Carlos Williams said that it was it's difficult to get the news from poems. 
yet men die miserably every day for lack of what is found there, you know, in the quote within the poem. And I know that's one of your favorite quotes. Yeah. How powerful, how, how many opportunities do we miss in our day-to-day life to actually get the news and the messages through poetry that mainstream media does not convey? Well, uh, I think one of the the problems that we grow up with in in school, and uh, where, where we have to read poetry as in high school assignments and, and analyze poetry and dissect what the poet mean meant, meant and and what uh, what we're supposed to learn from the poem is is that uh, then with that there it, it sort of dilutes the the the, real, the, the truth or the, or the love or the passion for, for poetry that if you come to poetry more organically on your own, I feel is, is sometimes it... Um, well, what, what I try to do in, in my poetry is to, to paint a picture that's vivid and accessible um, as much as possible. And I, I think that what, one of the difficulties, at least in, when I've taught high school students um, when when you begin discussing poetry, is that there's this sort of stigma around poetry that to a certain extent. Um, but I I I don't like that stigma. What's the stigma that you're referring to? Um, it, not so much a stigma, but just that it it, it is. Pe- people say that you know I I, I don't get poetry or. Uh, I poetry is too complex for me, uh, but but if you if you really take the time, um, as, as William Carlos Williams said, uh, there's there's so much truth and and possibility in poetry that you don't get from from a news headline. You know, the people say express the same type of lack of understanding, uh, which is ignorance. Um, sometimes in the form of, you know, extreme ignorance, when they say things like that about, you know, I don't get poetry, like the, the, similar comments have been used with rap, you know, rap music right. or spoken word, yet it's a it's a powerful skill and use of the of intelligence applied to a lyrical format that conveys very powerful messages. And we don't have to stay in a place of ignorance. And what I'm so excited about with your memoir is that you're taking a global, you know, a a political issue of global impact and putting it into a lyrical phrasing that helps all of us be able to understand a reality that might otherwise be foreign to us. And you do it under, you know, you're, you're blending Worlds. Um, you're blending worlds in terms of lyrical inspirations. You know, from you know, talk about some of those lyrical inspirations that are helping you to blend the world of your two-year experience in Palestine. Uh, well, I, I have to say that one of my favorite uh, poet, uh, actually rock star, is uh, Bruce Springsteen, and um, he has had a, an incredible. Uh, impact on on my sort of the formation of of my finding my poetic voice, um, and although maybe not necessarily in this piece, 
I I, I do often uh, reference um, the styles that he, that he and his songs uh, uh, explored. Um, but other other influences, um, I would say that Pablo Neruda, uh, the the poet Pablo Neruda. You from Chile, yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the poet Lucille Clifton, who I, I believe recently passed away, um, and also uh, Ed, Edward Said's writing. Uh, he's, a, he's an essayist. Uh, most recently I've, I've read um, Peace and Its Discontents, and I highly recommend that book. Um, it's uh, about... The name again, you, you kind of went out, you're sorry, kind of the, going in the, and out. The, the book is called Peace and Its Discontents, by okay. Edward Said, and okay. an excellent um, understanding of the uh, lead-up to and the uh, aftermath of the Oslo Peace Accords in the early 90s. Um, and I, I think that that is an, an excellent starting ground for for um, anyone interested in, in learning more about uh, the situation in Palestine. You also have... Um Darish and Mumia Abu Jamal, yes, you yeah. know, as Alice Walker, you know, blended in there. Where do these, where does this wide variety of lyrical influence come from in your life? Um, I just, you know, I I I love to read, uh, and I, as some of my friends in in uh, Ramallah will will note that sometimes I'll be. Um, I'll, I'll bring up uh, somewhat obscure authors. Um, in, in this case, not many people in, in Ramallah knew who uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal was. And um, he he has had a, a very, his writing has had a, a very deep impact on my um, sort of political understanding. I began reading his book when I was in fifth grade, uh, Live from Death Row. Um, and, and that really shaped how I began to think about um, the, the world around me and and um, the, the, the criminal justice system or, or the lack of justice in the criminal justice system. Um, and so prison uh, issues are, are a, a big passion of mine as well. And I think that, that uh, passion was one of the things that led me to, to Palestine in the first place. I, I was saying to my mother, uh, a few weeks ago that, you know, I, I was uh, beating myself up because I, I hadn't uh, been as a- active in, in prison issues recently. Um, and she said, no, you, you just you just moved for a, to, to a prison for two years. Um, yeah. For, for Palestine. You know, we started, oh, we have some questions and calls that are coming in, but I want to give, before we start taking those, I just want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners a little bit more about your background. You know, you're a writer and an educator from Vermont and Palestine, Vermont and Pennsylvania, a recent graduate of Oberlin College, where you majored in creative writing and dance. And you're going to also be pursuing a master's degree in social justice education at UMass Amherst. But the reason you're on the show today is because you spent the past two years living and writing in Palestine. And you've had your writings appear in numerous publications. What are some of those publications, and what were those articles about? Uh, one of the most recent um, 
articles I wrote was, was for uh, Guernica magazine, and it was a, an article on running in Palestine. And it, it's, the article focused actually on uh, my competition, who was this young um, eight-year-old whippersnapper who, who really, uh, he just, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but he, he, he beat me at, at the end of the race. It was a, a, a five-kilometer race, and, and he was an excellent runner. And I guess I, I just wasn't uh, prepared to um, admit that to myself for a long time. And so I wrote an article about about that race and my uh, coming to terms with being beaten by an eight-year-old. Um, and then a, a few other uh, articles that I've written um, are... Uh, recently, I, I wrote an article about my uh, Pennsylvania House of uh, Representatives uh, representative uh, Joe Pitts, who, in a letter to my father, uh, my, my father had contacted him about uh, in, in the issue of Palestine, and uh, Joe Pitts responded saying that it is incumbent upon um, Yasser Arafat and Ariel Sharon to. Uh, restart the peace process. The, the problem here is that Yasser Arafat has been dead uh, since uh, 2004 or so, and Ariel Sharon uh, has been in a, a uh, coma. For yeah, he's been in a coma for, oh my gosh. Yeah. This came from who? This came from uh, my rep- representative uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, Joe Pitts, um, from the, uh, the 16th District. Of Pennsylvania, and uh, it came this this spring, um, and it was the the problem was that it was, it was wildly out of date, uh, obviously, and so so I wrote an article about this, and um, what was exciting was watching this this article take off all across the internet, and it actually got to uh, the 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 Daily Show's uh, blog, the Indecision 2012, uh, picked up on on the story, um, so that was exciting. Well, it's more that it's, it speaks profoundly about the power of the pen and the importance of our voice. You know, there was another quote that I know you you um, that's important to you and reflects your values, and that's we cannot always act upon what we see, but we always have the freedom to see and to be moved, and that that your father would be moved to write to a you know state representative, the representative. And then you would take that a step further and get that awareness out to the general public about, you know, this lack of understanding about on the part of an elected official about something of such major significance and that you would put it in, use the power of the pen to convey that message and to educate um, many about this subject in Palestine and Israel from a different perspective than we often hear. And, and the, the thing about that quote uh, by Farid uh, Isaac is that it's, it's part of a, a much longer quote, um, and he has written it uh, in in um, large, uh, maybe I don't know, four four foot by two foot letters, um, in in, in uh, made, made a mural out of it. Uh, it spans, it must be a, a mile or two of of the. The wall, um, and this is the, the what uh, Israel refers to as the security barrier. Um, but what I have 
come to understand as, as uh, the uh, the apartheid law, um, because mm-hmm. what what is happening in, in Palestine today is uh, apartheid, and and I I, I say that um, because uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa, who should know better than uh, most anyone in, in in the world what apartheid is like, has said that uh, has, in his visits to Palestine has said that this is worse than apartheid. Mm. So I, I don't use that word lightly. Yeah, we have a question. Uh, we have a, a guest with a question. Good morning. Are you on the air? Can you hear me? You are on the air. Can you hear me? Hello. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for calling in. You're listening to Sylvia Global, and our guest this morning is Ian Roadwalt. Do you have a question for him? Yes, I do. Go ahead. I wonder if your guest could perhaps describe one of the most challenging experiences that he faced while he was living in Palestine for two years. That's question one. And the other uh, part of that is I wonder um, how he found support for his spirit during that two-year journey. Mm, Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ian Kitten? Yes. I, I I I'll start with the, the second question first while I um contemplate the the first question about the challenging experience. Uh in terms of support for the spirit while I was in Ramallah, um there's a, a wonderful Quaker meeting. I'm I'm Quaker myself. Um and there's a a, a, a beautiful um, serene, calm uh, Quaker Meeting House that is is uh, sort of a, a cultural center in in Ramallah. Um, not only do they have uh, Quaker uh, worship service on Sundays, uh, but they also throughout the week they have um, lectures and concerts and uh, movies that show there. Um, additionally, um, uh, you know the the the, the Call to prayer five times a day um, from from the mosque down the down the street, um, and and being being in such a uh, you know being in the Holy Land, uh, there there was much to see and experience, um, and uh, many um, uh, amazing historical historical places to go to that that spoke to. Uh, spirituality and religion and and the history of religion, which has not always been the uh, most peaceful, but uh, nonetheless there there are some really amazing, amazing, beautiful um, churches and mosques and uh, and so so that's that addresses that that second question about how I um, maintained my spirit uh, while in Palestine. Um, the first question about what, what was my most challenging experience um, is it's a bit of a story. Uh, um, I I it, it involves my my visa, um, and it, for for I, I was on a tourist visa which one needs to renew every three months in order to um, stay stay there. Uh, and to renew it, you have to go out of the country and come back. And so, so often I would I would um, go to Jordan for a weekend, um, and and come back 
and and most of the time uh, I, I would get a, another three month visa. But uh, the most recent time I did that in March, I was given a, a one week visa. Um, they they crossed out the three months of the stamp and they they wrote in one month. And so I was I was a little bit uh, freaked out about that because I was planning to stay for another several months at least. And the, uh, from from there, it, it just sort of progressed into a, a Kafka-esque nightmare. Um, I was sent from there to the, the Ministry of Interior uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, when they when they asked me uh, where I lived, I, I said I live in Ramallah, and uh, the lady immediately and quite unkindly closed her book and said, "Oh well, I, I can't help you." Um, and so I, I spoke to her supervisor and. She sent me to um, a, a, a settlement that's right outside of Ramallah, the, the uh, Beit El settlement. Um, and uh, when we went there, we went in one entrance. And I have to say that uh, in, my, in my experience with uh, visiting prisons in the U.S., um, uh, the lobby of, of prisons in the U.S. are more inviting than this uh, office that we we went to, um, and and once we arrived, we were told there that no, they couldn't help us. We had to go down the street uh, about half a mile, so we walked walked along along the highway, uh, and with with the with being traffic on on one end. Who's we? Ian, who's we? I, I went with uh, my mother, who was who was visiting me for three months, and my uh, French roommate, uh, Xavier, and um, from, so, so on, on, on the one side there's the speeding highway, and on the other side there's this 10-foot uh, cement wall that's very intimidating, and we get to where we need to get to, and it, it was so reminiscent of what I understand uh, the, the Warsaw Ghetto to, to look like, um, and just, just a, a sort of fortress barricaded um, and we we get to the, the outside door and we ring the bell and there's another Palestinian gentleman waiting there um, and no one answers the bell and then a, a few other uh, people arrive and each each person when they arrive they, they try the bell and uh, ultimately after about half an hour or 45 minutes and there's maybe 10 or 12 of us there the door does open and we go in, and we have to go through a, a metal detector, and then through another door. But as I'm getting my stuff uh, out of the the can that's right next to the metal detector, um, the door in front of us locks, and so we're in this sort of five foot square uh, foyer that is quite intimidating. So I, I, I wave to the the security camera. I, I say, "Hello, we're we're here. We we need to get in." Uh, and then and, and start pounding on the door, and uh, then after another few minutes, that door opens. And and once we get inside, it's this just uh, ridiculous scene of there's about seven or eight um, young, they're, they're teenagers, the, the Israeli soldiers, uh, seven or eight teenage soldiers in, in the the office, 
uh, and, and none of them are paying any attention to the people who are coming to the desk to, to talk to them. One of them is eating a sandwich. Another one is sitting up a, a widescreen TV. Um, and, and then and another two are having a conversation. And then this, this other guy just walking around. And with, with absolutely no concern for the fact that the rest of us are, you know, need, need their assistance. And, and also I should mention that each of them has uh, a, a large semi-automatic uh, weapon strapped around their their uh, shoulders. So, so by the time I get to the desk, I, I tell the person there my situation that I have have only a one-week visa, um, and I need to stay for another few months. And I was told to come here in order to uh, get the the visa extension. And the the young guy uh, looked at me and and was very uh, uh, baffled and, and befuddled. And he said, "You know, uh, this right, right here, we only deal with Palestinians giving them permits to go into Jerusalem. I'm, I'm not sure why you're here." So at that point, I I scratched my head a little bit and said, "Well, can can you help me? Because your Ministry of Interior told me to come here. I have come here now and." I would appreciate some sort of help or advice. And at that point, the the young man said, what you need to do is call your embassy, and, and they'll figure it out for you. And I was, I was getting a little more upset at this point, and I said, no, actually, uh, if, if anyone needs to call the embassy, you should call... Uh, I was told to come here, and I'm not going to leave until I have some sort of piece of paper that allows me to stay on beyond this week. And from so so then I, I uh, the soldier called the embassy and talked with a, a security person there. And then I got on the phone with that gentleman, and he said, uh, "So what, what did you tell them at the Ministry of Interior?" And I said. Uh, I that I live in Ramallah, and he said, uh, "You know, you shouldn't have done that. You should have said you live in Jerusalem." So, what we have here is uh, the U.S. embassy urging one of its citizens in a foreign country to lie to its most to its closest ally in order to I, I don't know to, to get a visa. And did you get the visa? I I, ultim- I ultimately did get. The did visa. you have to lie? Uh, I I what I did was I scheduled an appointment uh, for a, a few weeks uh, down the road, and um, and uh, in the meantime I had a receipt for that appointment, and that appoint that receipt acted as a uh, temporary visa. Well, how was the um, the bureaucracy? that you experienced there uh, a different level or intensity of bureaucracy that you would experience or that many people experience here within the United States barring, you know, teenagers with automatic weapons, you know, strapped to their bodies, you know, but people seem to wield a lot of influence in the life decisions of many people here in the United States, you know, and face tremendous daily bureaucracies. Right. You know, was how was this any different? Well, um, 
it's sort of, if you can imagine uh, having to stay at the Department of Motor Vehicles office for three or four days in a row with no one helping you and not not they don't attempt to help you and also you know they have these semi-automatic weapons and basically they don't want you there the the, the main the main lesson that I got out of this was that uh, I as a foreigner was not wanted uh, there in the West Bank uh, and I think part of that is that uh, it, Israel doesn't want um, the world to know about what's going on in the West Bank, um, and and that's why they're they're uh, cramping down on on foreigners. And and actually, this summer, uh, the the army is uh, even more strictly enforcing um, and and find, finding foreigners who who are living in in the West Bank. Who, who may have overstayed their visa. Hmm. And Ian, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to make and, sure and, we... And, and, de- and deporting them, essentially. They're getting de- going to be deported yeah. if they've overextended their stay. Yeah. And another question that's come in, um, there were several calls that um, we had, and I'm going to have to take them by text because we're you know, running out of some time here, and I want to make sure that you get... Apple opportunity to to share the how our listeners of Sylvia Global can support dancing under apartheid and the you know your project. One of the text questions that's come to, that's come on my screen is what are the risks associated with writing and publishing your memoirs about your stay in Palestine? That's a, a very good question uh, and one that I I asked myself for a while before I finally decided to uh, put myself out there and launch this Kickstarter campaign and um, but particularly with you know a relatively controversial title uh, one of the risks is that uh, perhaps I won't be able to return to um, uh, Palestine if if the Israelis uh, at, at the border um, if they, if they look me up online and and they they uh, see that they don't want someone of uh, uh, like what, what I'm doing, uh, I, I may not be able to get it, get back in. Um, another risk is that you know, given how how controversial uh, the subject is, um, and and uh, the 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 reason it's so controversial is that our our Political system is so wrapped up in um, in, in Israel, uh, at least our, our foreign policy. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we give three billion dollars a year to Israel, um, and so it, it's uh, this this sort of discussion. What, what I'm writing about in this book, you know, will I'm sure will, will never be talked about in any sort of political campaign um, because it's too uh, it, it threatens the status quo too much, I guess. Um, in terms of other risks of writing this, uh, I may I may get a lot of hate mail. I don't know. Um, but as as I said in the beginning, uh, with the Dr. King quote, um, when from when silence is betrayal, uh, to to be com- to be silent in the face of injustice is to be complicit. And so, 
I, I am unable to be uh, silent about this. So the risk of not writing it is a personal, um, moral, and political struggle for you internally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the Kickstarter project. And for those listeners who are not familiar with Kickstarter, um, share with them, you know, what an exciting opportunity this is. Yeah. Uh, Kickstarter is is an amazing um, uh, website that allows you to uh, fundraise for your own uh, creative ventures. So there are people who use Kickstarter to make movies or plays or or publish photography. Uh, in, In my case, I'm Using it to to uh, finance uh, my my uh, the writing of my book, and um, with when when a uh, person decides to to back the, a project, um, they um, they can back anywhere from uh, one dollar to um, as as much as they want. Um, and uh, it, but the the thing is that Kickstarter is an all or nothing uh, uh, venture, and and so that if I I don't make my final uh, fundraising goal uh, by the time the deadline of, of September 9th, uh, then I no no money exchanges hands. Uh, so I am uh, attempting to raise ten thousand dollars for this. Um, and and a couple of the the rewards for uh, the the various levels of, of pledges are um, from from the 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 simplest one is a, a thank you a heartfelt thank you uh, phone call from the author um, to uh, as as the the price increases to um, a copy of the book ultimately and. Even more so, uh, being being involved in in the writing of the book. One one of the pledge uh, uh, rewards is uh, your question becomes a poem. Uh, so so that you you ask me a question and I will write a poem directly related to your question, and then your name will appear in the acknowledgement section. Oh, that's a nice touch. That's actually very special. So it's, it's very it's, nice. It, yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative process. process. Yeah. So the listeners can go to what website in order to support Dancing Under Apartheid and to I, increase awareness around um, the relationships that you were describing with Palestine and Israel? Yes. Uh, Kickstarter.com is the main website. And then to search for the project, uh, type in Dancing Under Apartheid or uh, type in my name, Ian Rodewalt. Rodewalt spelled R-H-O-D-E-W-A-L-T. Perfect. Dancing Under Apartheid. Another, um, I'll have to take this as the last question, though we have about ten of them right here on my screen, Ian, so we'll have to have you come back. Um, The last question is, Sylvia Global is known for its programming directed toward women and girls. How does Dancing Under Apartheid fit or address issues related to women and girls in Palestine? That is an excellent question. Um, And let me just finish writing down that question. Uh, I, I write about, amongst other things, 
the, the situation affecting uh, women in Palestine and how, how the occupation uh, plays out in, in women's lives. Um, I, I, I mentioned in, in the first the first piece that I, I read from uh, the, the tra tragedy of, of the, the village of Beit Nuba, where, amongst other things, there was a, a woman who, uh, in, who was while she was in labor, she was tear gassed by the army, um, and she uh, lost her baby and, and went crazy. Um, so uh, what I uh, while I do write about the the, the tragedies, I also uh, write about the 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 possibilities and the the, the more more joy, joyful aspects of life. Um, and uh, I, I hope that answers the question. It does answer a part of the question. I have another part that I'm going to have to tag on here, hook on to, and that is you opened up this episode reading some of your poetry, and you reference anger. You know, so often, and this is kind of the opposite of what Sylvia Global is all about, so often we're just bombarded with the angry, ugly sides of life. Yeah. And the things that you're committed to, the prison work, you know, the addressing the injustices around the world, you know, it, it keeps you in an environment where you're so often having to see the ugly side of human behavior. What do you do to nurture the good that's within you and to be able to still see the good that's within others when you're so much in, in the face of ugliness? Um, well, I, uh, among other things, I, I write. Um, I write in order to process what I've seen and to stay in touch with my own um, uh, truth and my own, my own soul as well um, and to hold on to, 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 the, to the, I guess, to hold on to the light as, as I'm witnessing uh, the, the darkness. And Does this so, keep you... Does this keep you from becoming discouraged? It it does. It does. Um, I mean, it, it it's a very difficult. Uh, these experiences have been very difficult, and um, it, it, they are very discouraging and, and depressing at times. But but the the writing that I am doing helps helps keep me keep me going. So the expression, the power of the pen, goes beyond the power of influence like that with the elected official from Pennsylvania and being able to inform and enlighten um, those in leadership. The power of the pen is also a way of nurturing your own soul yes. and keeping you grounded in a place to do good works on behalf of others who need the support and encouragement to be able to move into better places of life and living. Absolutely. And mm. and along with that, you know, writing for me is very much a, a meditative act. Mm. And so that it, I, I get just as much out of writing the piece as I hope a reader might as well. We're very excited for you, Ian. Um, Kickstarter.com, and you said to enter the name Ian, I-A-N, Roadwalt, R-H-O-D-E-W-A-L-T, 
And you can support Ian's memoir and collection of essays and poetry called Dancing Under Apartheid um, at Kickstarter and with this project. Ian, uh, tell us why the title Dancing Under Apartheid. I can't close without you giving an explanation for that. Uh, well, among other things, uh, the, in, in terms of the, the sort of uh, more positive side of life, I, I was able to go dancing a bunch of times. And I, I, I love to dance, um, and it, it's sort of the, the interplay between the, the the dark and the heavy of you know apartheid and dancing, which, which is a, a, a more joyful act. Um, so I think that that's where that's why I came up with that title. So even in the midst of the 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 despair and the frustration, there is still good and many reasons that people are able to find and hold on to the joy in life by dancing. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Ian Roadwall, author of the forthcoming memoir, Dancing Under Apartheid, thank you so much for being here on Sylvia Global today. Um, we hope that you'll listen to and follow Ian um, and his works at Sylvia Doble, Sylvia com. And you can hear this broadcast on iTunes as a podcast under Sylvia Global. Um, Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And we'll hope you'll join us again very soon. Ian, much success to you. And thank you again for being here today. Thank you so much, Gail. Quite my pleasure. Quite my pleasure. Um, We're keeping the people of Israel and Palestine in our prayers and doing what we can to support the good that is around us. Have a good day. You too.